0: Uh, 21 verse chapter of Obadiah, a little short book, and we'll look a little bit at it tonight, and then we'll look into uh, Haggai right after that. So as we do that, tonight we move to to look at this. So there's a key word or phrase, usually just one word, that describes uh, each book that we've studied so far, and the word for Obadiah is the word retribution. And it's going to be, as you read through there, we'll read a few verses. We won't read all 21 verses probably, but we'll read a few verses in here and we'll see this actually is a rebuke towards um, Edom. And we'll talk about Edom tonight, who they are and what they're about. So since it's a short book, uh, and of course it's one of what we call the minor prophets, there is prophecy in it. There's prophecy that was to come to pass you know, in that day, but also there's future prophecy as all these Prophets we've studied have had had the same thing. And so retribution uh, is the the key word for for, uh, the book of of Obadiah. If I can get this to work right. So we get to um, the timeline for this. I don't know why my battery's supposed to be going on on this or something. We get, get to the timeline of the book of Obadiah. It's roughly about 587 to 580 BC, his his, prophe- his time to, to minister was, at least the recording of it is not that long, and it makes sense this is only one chapter, that it wouldn't be very long, but that was the time uh, that he that he ministered uh, and prophesied, but then you also have to realize that not everything that a prophet said was necessarily included in Scripture, uh, but what was included in Scripture during their time, uh, God saw fit, we, we, have, we have that, of course, so Uh, Obadiah is about seven years of time, and he is um, towards the uh, middle to the end of the captivity time. But his message was not so much to Israel itself. It was to um, Edom, who are descendants of Esau. So let's look at the first few verses, and then we're going to back up. Speaking of backing up, then we're going to back up to uh, Genesis and look at a little bit of background about this, why this prophecy is aimed at Edom and who is Edom. Let's look at verse 1 down to verse verse 9. It's almost half of the chapter, almost half of the book. But let's read this just for context. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We, We have heard a rumor from the Lord and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle against Edom. Verse 2, Behold, I have made thee uh, small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. And he tells why here in the next few verses. Verse 3, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. Make a little pin there because we'll actually see Um, the geographical location, why it says clefts of the rock, um, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Verse 4, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the, to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding, uh, understanding out of the Mount of Esau? And uh, thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed, and the end of every one of them of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. So God uh, mentions, uh, tells them here there's going to be retribution. But let's look a little bit into the past about Edom. Uh, who, is, who is that little group or nation of peoples named Edom, and where did they come from? Go back with me to Genesis chapter 25, <clears throat> Genesis 25. And we'll pick up verse 22 and 23, and then we'll skip down to verse number 30. If you remember when uh, Isaac had um, uh, two sons, um, uh, Jacob and Esau, and those two sons, the Scripture mentions that they would be uh, at odds with each other. But look when me start in verse 22 and verse 23 of um, Genesis 25. And the children struggled together within her. That's, that's uh, Rebecca as their mother of um, Jacob and Esau, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. She prayed, she asked the Lord, and the Lord answers her. Verse 23, the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So not only were these babies going to be you know, grown men, Jacob and Esau, but when God talked to her, their very special um, circumstance were that they were going to be um, the, the head of two different nations. Jacob, of course, through Jacob and his 12 sons, is, is the nation of Israel. And then through uh, Esau is Edom, who Edom becomes um, an enemy. And even in the womb they fought. Even in the womb they had, they had problems there. And um, after they're born, as you know, as they grow up, then you remember, we won't go into detail, it takes too long, but as you remember the um, the pottage and how it was cheated from there, uh, but actually Esau wasn't cheated out of that pottage. Look at verse 20, um, I've got 30, but look at verse 29 and 30. Jacob sawed pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint. That word saw just meant he 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 prepared it, he made it. He, he cooked it, pottage, boiled it or whatever Boiled it, I guess you'd say. Verse 30, And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And then Jacob, verse 31, takes advantage of that and says, Sell me this day thy birthright. So Esau um, had, you know, a physical hunger that needed to be fulfilled. And here in his weakness, he sold his birthright to Jacob. He was the firstborn, but he sold it to Jacob. And Jacob got the birthright, and you know a little bit of history of that probably uh, as, we, as we look at this. Um, but in, the, um, in a future study, when we get to a future book uh, down the road, when we get to the book of Malachi, we'll talk about this a little bit more and the difference between them. Because in Malachi, the Bible says, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Well, a lot of the Reformed and Calvinists and so forth jump on that. And say that you know Esau was was uh, uh, hated from you know before birth, and so God uh, did not elect him; he elected Jacob. That's not the case at all. You have to understand God is looking at them as nations, not as individuals. That's very, very important. And we'll probably look at where Paul brings this up in Romans when we get to uh, when we get to Malachi. But anyway, skip to verse uh, chapter thirty-six in verse eight and nine. So the favoritism that God showed wasn't toward them as individuals; it was toward the nation that would come from them. That they they would be the, um, the, the they would generate those nations. Verse um, thirty, uh, chapter thirty-six, verse eight and verse nine. Thus dwelt Esau and Mount Seir. Here you go. Esau is Edom. Now, throughout the book, rest of the book of Genesis, and in several of the places in the Old Testament, you'll see that Esau is Edom. That same phrase over and over and over. It's like the God. It's like God's telling us. Remember when you study this, Esau is Edom. It, his, they are his descendants. That's who Edom is. That's, that's that's where they generate from. Verse nine. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. So it mentions there. <clears throat> Where their home base, their home area would be. Now, a nation doesn't always isn't always confined to a piece of land. Most of the time, it is. But you have to remember, in those days, especially, they were very nomadic. They traveled from place to place, like nomads. They traveled, you know, from place to place. Uh, and and uh, we would we would use the term more recent, you know, gypsies. But basically, they they were nomads. They traveled from place to place. But yet, they had a home place, and it was Mount Seir and. Um, it's in as you look and see. Oops, as you look and see. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, you'll notice uh, Israel uh, the way it's laid out. Now, this is an old. Uh, this is a. Um, this is a more modern map of the Old Testament. You know of, of Israel, and so some of these names here are not um, maybe not you know used the same way in the Bible. They're they're used in today's terms. But nevertheless, Kedish Barnea, you know that one from Joshua. And then, but anyway, so uh, Silah or Silah is part of Edom um, and Bozrah. Those are part of Edom. They're the easternmost mo- part of Edom. Then there's an area down here called Petra. Now when we get to uh, later on, uh, maybe in Zechariah, <clears throat> we'll study a little bit more about the tribulation. Um, most commentators and writers believe that this is going to be the place where the Jews will flee from the Antichrist, a place called Petra. And if you remember in Matthew 24, where he talks about fleeing, uh, you know, from Jerusalem, leave and head for the hills. And then over in the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, it talks about how the woman, Israel, flees to the wilderness. Well, this is going to be one of the hiding places in the tribulation. a place called Petra, uh, straight south of Sila, or Sila. If it doesn't have the A, if it doesn't have the H, I'll, I'll say Selah, but if it has the H, it's Selah, because uh, anyway, nevertheless. So Petra is south of that. So um, that's that location there in Edom is uh, where they, they settle. And so uh, the skip one. No, I didn't. So Mount Seir is located in Edom. I'm using my old laptop right now. I've got to get my new one fixed again. The same problem happened. Mount Seir is located in Edom. It's the region southeast of the Salt Sea. Uh, now that area is actually part of Saudi Arabia in modern day. <clears throat> it was settled by Esau, as we know, and it was promised to them. This land was promised to them by God. Chapter 36, verse 8 and 9, we just read the verses there. So this is a, um, a modern-day picture there we go. Of, um, it talked about in the, in the cliffs and the rocks. That's a modern-day picture of where they're, where they're at, and that's what he was talking about. And so it gives you a mental picture of what it you know looked like. And, you know, sure hasn't changed a whole lot over the years. But uh, nevertheless, you know, they would hide in the rocks there. you see a lot of door openings or whatever there. So that's where they were hiding And that's, as he prophesied and said that, that, of course, is where they were located. So we'll look at them a little bit more when we get to the um, the book of um, the book of Malachi because it mentions both Esau and or Edom and uh, Jacob um, Israel and it mentions them both so we'll talk about them so what we learn from Esau Esau became Edom as we know when you look at his life and uh, go back in Genesis and read and if you you know heard sermons or Sunday school stories and lessons and so forth about him the thing about Esau Jacob <clears throat> He was originally named Jacob, which means a supplanter, which means a trickster, means a rascal. And so Jacob, as he, he was himself, when he said, I'll give you, you know, this, this pottage, I'll give you this food, if you'll you know, sell me your birthright and you can have it. And so there he was being a rascal. Later his name's changed to Israel, which means a prince with God. But any time after his name's changed and you see Jacob called Jacob, Usually means there's something rotten <laughs> that happened, something bad that happened. And then later on, uh, many years after his death, we looked at this when we studied uh, in Jeremiah chapter 30. It says it talks about the tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble. So um, when it's called when he's called Jacob, after his name was changed, it usually means you're a rascal. But even even Jacob, even with his trickster ways and the things he did, Jacob loved the Lord. I really believe that. He had some problems, but I believe he loved the Lord. Uh, But yeah, Esau, uh, the uh, the twin brother, we see no testimony of faith in God at all in Esau. Never see anything mentioned um, from Esau about faith in God. Although he was a twin brother and, you know, descendant from Abraham. Isaac, twin brother Jacob, never see anything about it. He walked by sight, not by faith. Uh, Jacob, unfortunately, did that a lot of times, but then there were times that Jacob walked by faith. He was obedient and walked by faith. And also, he lived entirely by the flesh, never by the spirit. Uh, Esau was one that always lived, just for the moment, lived by the flesh. And you never see anything spiritual from, from him, from his life. And then he also made himself out to be the victim. Go over to Hebrews 12. So remember, he, he, um, he, he he's in a very uh, difficult um, place whenever he's hungry, because I mean, you've, you've Maybe you've been hungry in your life where you you literally say, I could eat anything right now. Well, that's exactly what he did. Hebrews 12 records the uh, fallout of this. Pick up at verse 15 in Hebrews 12. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator, or profane person. As Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for you know how that afterward, he would have inherited the blessing. He was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. It was too late. He had already given it away and, you know, cry all he wanted to or might have. It was too late. He had given up the birthright. And so, uh, but yeah, he made himself out to be the victim. And you see a couple of times in Genesis where there's a, um, a meeting between Jacob and Esau. And, um, and so, anyway, they, they, they had constant problems Between them, so with that in mind, let's get this to work. So, the Book of Obadiah, just one chapter. It was written to Edom. It was written, uh, of course, Israel sees some things in there that that or hears some things. I'm sure that Obadiah had to say, but it was written to Edom that God's judgment would come upon them, and the reason being is they joined with Babylon against Judah. Remember now, here we are, Obadiah, one of the books of the, uh, um, during the, getting towards the end of, but during the time of captivity. And so God says through Obadiah to Edom that he would bring judgment on them because when Babylon came in to take over Judah, remember the, the, southern, two, uh, the southern kingdom of the two, two uh, tribes, Judah and Benjamin, when they went into captivity to Babylon, Edom actually helped Babylon. And so um, they were to be held accountable for it even more so than Babylon because of the fact that they were actually, you know, they were descendants of Abraham and they should have known and done better, but they did not. And so this whole book pretty much is about a judgment that he gives on them. So with that in mind, look at a quick outline of the one chapter, put it in about four parts. Um, Well, let me, let me mention this 1st Yeah, let me, I'm not going to go back and read it for time's sake. But in First Chronicles 18, Edom becomes servants to Israel under King David. After Saul died, David's the first, the second king. In First Chronicles 18, verse 13 to 14, Edom had become servants to Israel, um, to David, and they did it um, did it willingly. But it, by the time you get to Second Chronicles, towards the end. Israel's history after they had um, had king after king after the divided kingdom king after king disobeyed God Israel revolted against Israel under King Jehoram and 2nd Chronicles 21 verses 5 to 10 record that and so um, they had a history of um, of not being loyal to to Israel at all and they revolted against them way back then. So, in other words, whenever that came around with Babylon, it wasn't the first time as a nation that they did not support their, their blood kin. Even though they're not part, a children of the promise, they still did not support their blood kin. So we'll come back to Esau and Jacob when we cruise through Malachi, the last the Old Testament book. We'll talk about them a little bit more then, try to maybe top some more loose ends about them. So, here is, I'll take that, here is three division of uh, one cha- one chapter into three places um, all 21 verses first you see the humiliation of Edom which we read earlier verses one to 9 and then you see their crime verses 10 to 14 um, as you uh, just reading just scrimming through there I won't read all the verses there verse 10 to 14 but it mentions that they had violence against Jacob um, and because of that they were to be cut off of that Um they rejoiced in verse 12 over Judah when Judah was destroyed. Remember, we saw that they had sided with the Babylonians. And um, in verse 13, they're, they're simply told they shouldn't have entered into the gate of God's people there, uh, you know, for that, during that time when the Babylonians came in, but they came in and they helped them against Israel. So he talks to them about their day of distress is coming, their day of calamity, their day of judgment. And so verse 15 to 21, it speaks of their doom that there would be, uh, Destruction. So God brought that upon them. Then, now at the um, at the end of the tribulation, of course, uh, it's very likely that Edom will be confederate with the with the um, other nations that join with the Antichrist, whoever they are now, whoever the Edomites are now and their descendants. But if they're around, um, if they're located now around Saudi Arabia, then probably a lot of their descendants, you know, settled in there most likely. So they're not known as Edom now in the in the strictest sense, but They're they probably are scattered throughout um, the Middle East there now. So. All right. So let's go on into um, a little bit more about this chapter, if I can get that to change. Um, Verse three and four, they're taken from their secure place. We read about the rocks and the cliffs that they that they dwelled in I showed you the picture there. Then they're plundered by their enemies. Then their allies, their friends at the time, verse seven, desert them. So they find out what it's like. They deserted Israel. Now they're, the the nations they thought were friends of theirs they desert um, Edom when it's time for judgment to come. And they were stripped of their wise and their mighty. Their wisest ones, their strongest ones, their most mighty uh, are taken away, or maybe even uh, maybe even killed in a battle. And then when you get to uh, the rest of the chapter. Verses 9, picking back up at verse, well, actually, we skip verse 9. Verse 10, here's the reason they were hostile toward Jacob. And again, as I mentioned, their alliance with Babylon, verse 11. And there's verse 12 to 14, they had their part in Judah's overthrow. Um, let's re- we didn't read that, so let's, let's, uh, let's read those. I skimmed over them a moment ago. Let's look at that. <clears throat> let's see if I can back up to there. I was in the wrong place just then. Let's see. Uh, get back to it. I'm in the wrong place. All right. Here we go. It's Obadiah. I was looking in the wrong spot. Okay. Verse um, 12, but thou shouldst not have overlooked on the day of thy border and the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. That's verse 12. Verse 13, thou shalt not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Thou shouldst not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on the substance the day of their calamity. Neither shouldst thou have stood in the crossway to cut off uh, those uh, of his that did escape, neither shouldst thou have delivered up those that did remain in the day of distress. So they had their part in Judah's overthrow with Babylon, but look what um, look at a couple of places. One is in Psalm 137. and verse 7, this... Um, this is a psalm that was written much later. King David didn 't write this psalm. Uh, this was written much later when they had gone into captivity in Babylon. Uh, you start at verse one it says, "By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down. yea, we wept when we remembered Zion Zion's another name for you know, Jerusalem because of the mountain there and so this is a lamentation, so to speak. this is their're crying their sorrow, their distress because They were in uh, captivity to to Babylon. But look at verse 7. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom. See, they were confederate with Babylon. Children of Edom in the day uh, day of Jerusalem who said, Raise it, raise it even to the foundation thereof. Now the word raise there doesn't mean lift it up. Raise means to cut like a razor, to cut it down. They they joined in with them, and that's what they said. Cut it down, cut down Jerusalem, destroy it. So they were were in agreement with with, uh, Babylon. One more place, going to your right, back right after you passed Jeremiah. We looked at this a few weeks ago. The little book of uh, Lamentations in chapter 4, which was also written by Jeremiah and also written during the time where they went into captivity. So um, Obadiah writes after the fact they're in captivity. Jeremiah did as much of his writing as he either was writing during their time of captivity or reflecting back on it. Uh, Lamentations 4, verse 21 and 22. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, thou that dwellest in the land of Uz. Remember somebody else that was from Uz? Job, right? Remember? who is from the land of, of Uz. Remember that? The cup also shall pass through unto thee. Thou shalt be drunken, thou shalt make thyself naked. And this is all descriptive way of talking about judgment to come. Verse 22. The punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry thee away into captivity. He will visit thine iniquity. O daughter of Edom, he will discover thy sins. In other words, to uncover, to make them, to reveal their sin of, um, of the way they treated uh, Israel. So <clears throat> with that in mind, that's, uh, that's pretty much a rundown on most of the, uh, of the judgment to come, at least up through, through those verses there, if I can get this to change. Um, then Israel, the future, will one day be delivered and possess her possessions when you read out the end of the chapter there of Obadiah, those last few verses. So 21 verses, not a long you know, book, just one chapter. And so the main theme of it is just dealing with Edom. And again, we'll come back to them a little bit more in the, in the, in the future. A um, couple of things to mention to you. The thing we learn in tune-up, God is no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of nations. Acts 10.34 says uh, God is no respecter of persons. So when it comes to salvation and things like that, God certainly is no respecter of persons. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. He will save anybody who will come to him by faith through his son. But he is a respecter of nations. Um, Psalm 9 verse 17 says... um, the, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now, the direct reference to that is talking about to the, to the, you know, at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back. Psalm thirty three twelve says, Blesses the nation whose God is the Lord, and uh, the ones whom he has chosen is his inheritance. So Psalm thirty three twelve, the second half of that verse is only for Israel, but the first half applies to any nation. If, if God is their Lord, if, if they love God, if, they, if they, they believe in him and love him, you know, that nation is a blessed nation. And so it says, Psalm 33, 12, it is a nation whose God is the Lord. And, and um, so he, he is a respecter of nations, not a respecter of persons, though. God respect, uh, every, everyone is, is the same when it comes to uh, trusting Christ. He'll save anyone who trusts in his son by faith. So Jesus is seen in the book of Obadiah as judge, verse 15 and 16, and also uh, verse 17, as a deliverer. Um, We'll read this and then we'll move on into um, the um, other highlighted verses and then we'll move on to the next book. Uh, Verse 17, but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and he will be the one to deliver. And, of course, as I mentioned, those last verses there in Obadiah, um, in Obadiah are reference to uh, the second coming of Jesus when he comes back at the end of the tribulation. Um, home address, the verse for this time, uh, for, for this book, is verse 21 where it says, The kingdom shall be the Lord's. Just as Daniel prophesied when we studied Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, uh, the, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, the dream excuse me, that Nebuchadnezzar had, that he couldn't understand and interpret, his men couldn't understand and interpret, and he called on Daniel, and Daniel said, um, uh, after these kingdoms of the world fall, he said, then he will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and that, of course, is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, that's the uh, home address, verse, verse 21, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Word of the Lord is the key in uh, the book of Haggai. It has two chapters, and that phrase, "the word of the Lord," is the key key verse there, or key phrase found in it. And Haggai is just two chapters; it's not real long. In fact, the first chapter is shorter than Obadiah; it's only fifteen verses. The second chapter is twenty three verses, so there's only thirty eight verses in it. Haggai was about five, was right at five twenty BC, just for one year. In which these events that he wrote about took place. So he's roughly pretty close to the time of Obadiah. And uh, he's there after the Babylonian captivity, chapter 1 and verse 1. And we'll look at that here in just a moment, actually, in the next slide, I believe, or coming up slide. Haggai 1, verse 1. Let's go ahead and look at that. The second year of Darius the king, who's also mentioned, remember the book of Daniel, in the sixth month and the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. Now that's not Joshua, the book of Joshua. This is someone else has the name Joshua. Haggai was the first prophet that God used to speak to Judah after the captivity into Babylon. So um, at the end of that captivity, we know that as we just studied Obadiah, it was during and getting towards the end of it, but at the very end of it, after they were in captivity, before they were or as many of them were getting ready to start to go back to Jerusalem, not all of them, but a lot of them did. Um, Then Zechariah, who we'll look at in a couple of weeks, a few weeks, about a month, and then Malachi, um, the last book of the Old Testament. Those are the other two that are also prophets right about the time or right after the time of Haggai. Um, So here's a breakdown of the book of Haggai, in chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, he tells, uh, tells the people of Israel to consider their ways, um, especially Judah, but to consider their ways after the captivity has, is over with, to think about it and to realize you know, their forefathers had disobeyed God, and that's why they were in captivity. You have to remember as he writes this, a lot, of them, um, a lot of them were born during captivity probably, while they were in captivity in Babylon. So a lot of them were, you know, during that 70-year period, uh, had grown up and maybe even had children. So some of them were probably grandchildren of the captivity. He tells them to consider their ways. Then, chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, he tells them to construct the temple. Now, we'll, we'll see in just a moment, we'll uh, just to tie back a little bit. Nehemiah, remember, God called him to come back and rebuild the city and the gates and the walls. And then God called Nehemiah to rebuild the temple. And this is what they're talking about here. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, they're told to construct the temple. And then verse 10 to 19, they're told to consecrate themselves. Um, You know, the temple's coming back. I want you to come back to worship and and bring the sacrifices for the the holy days and all that to consecrate themselves. And then verse 20 to 23 is the completion um, of his message to them. Let's skip over to that. Chapter 2 of Haggai, verse 20. And again, the word of the Lord came into Haggai on the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Amen. Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will th- overthrow the kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of uh, Shealtiel, um, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. So as they're coming to the end of their their captivity, the remnant that comes back, he promises a blessing there to Zerubbabel because of that and um, the the completion of the book. So let's go back and look at a few things about this uh, in in the two-chapter book of Haggai. He mentions the temple of the Lord, the Lord's temple. And when we get to, um, again, Malachi ties in with these books just a lot a lot more different detail, more detail. So when you pick up at verse um, verse 12, it talks about um, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, um, the, to hear the voice of the Lord, that he was to, to uh, hear his message, the temple will re- be rebuilt. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> in the 4 and 20th day of the 6th month. No, it's not. I'm in the wrong thing. I'm in chapter 1. or something in chapter 2. I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 15. I was looking at the wrong thing. Verse 15. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Verse 28. Nope. Can't be right. Um... Verse 20-something should be about the temple. What am I missing? Where am I missing that? It? Uh, oh, it's 18. That was supposed to be 18, not 28. The 8 was right. The 2 and 1 weren't. 18. Consider now this day upward from the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, even the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid Consider it Now, just as a quick side note, it's interesting because Haggai is different from the other prophets in that he dates, puts a date on every time, Um, on our outline that we saw, he puts a date on it. It was certain month and certain day of the month under the reign of Darius whenever he was king, uh, second year of Darius. So he puts a date on that. So that helps when, you know, the researchers and commentators go back to look and look at a date line of, of events that helps a lot. He's one of the prophets that did that um, all through his book. Not all of them did it. Some of them were in places, but he did it. He did it often. So, as we'll see in Malachi, again, tying together books, <clears throat> the time of Malachi comes, they had started building the temple and they quit. They they just, they dropped off for a long time, quit building the temple. And uh, so God tells them, you know, he asked them, he said, "Why, you know, why aren't you doing this? And he said, you know, um, you're, you're not buying the... Uh, everything that's needed to rebuild it. And that's when he tells them, bring the tithes into the storehouse. And that's that's a verse a lot of pastors like to use on tithing. Bring the tithes into the storehouse. He said that there'll be food there, there'll be meat there, uh, the needs are met, and things can be purchased and finished up to get the temple. He says, you're not building it. So here is where they begin to be told to rebuild it. And then after time goes by, they actually stop. But as we look at this uh, about the temple, there are eight temples in Scripture. First of all, there's Solomon's temple. In 2 Chronicles 7, during his reign, um, Solomon took a number of years to build the temple of the Lord, and uh, he built it, and then in 2 Chronicles 36, when Babylon comes in to wipe out Jerusalem, that temple's destroyed, so that's the first one in Scripture. Remember, before the temple was a tabernacle, and uh, even after the wilderness wanderings, the tabernacle sat in a place. And it was used like a temple um, because uh, even under David's reign, they still had the tabernacle. It just didn't travel from place to place like it did when they were in the wilderness. Then there's Zerubbabel's temple uh, in, in Ezra. He's the, you know, the, the king um, of sorts. As they come back, um, the remnant comes back from Babylon. And so Ezra in chapters three to five of Ezra is what, what's related to right here in Haggai uh, of the temple. And that's when it's built and finished in the book of Ezra. Third of all, there's Herod's temple. Uh, and there was a war about 168 B.C. Um, when Zerubbabel's temple was uh, destroyed about 168. And it's called Herod's temple because King Herod had it rebuilt from where it was, where it had been damaged before um, It was uh, restored. It wasn't completely destroyed, but it was damaged very bad. So Herod had it uh, rebuilt about 20 years before Jesus was born. If you remember in Matthew 24, when Jesus, um, remember when the, well, actually, I think Mark and Luke recorded this, uh, where the widow comes and drops by the two mites at the temple, gives her the two mites that she has. And then right after she does that, the disciples or talking to Jesus and said, you know, Master, look, behold the beauty of this temple and all its furnishings and all the stuff on the outside, how beautiful it is. And Jesus says, this temple will be destroyed. Well, that was the temple he's talking about. It was restored under one of the Herods. You remember Herod was a, not just a name, it was a dynasty. Just like in Egypt, you had Pharaoh, but they had actual names, but Pharaoh was a title. Herod was a title. And King Herod restored it about 20 years before Jesus was born. And then Um, It's later that temple's destroyed, um, about 70 A.D., about, we talked Sunday about, remember, we talked about Paul's uh, last letter. So about four years, three to four years after Paul was martyred, uh, Jerusalem was sacked, and it was destroyed. Jesus' physical body, John 2, verse 19 to 21, Jesus tells the Jews, he said, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it in three days. So there's the temple, this Jesus' physical body. John 2, verse 19 to 21. Then, of course, um, there is also for the New Testament believer, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Um, Jerusalem, they don't have a temple there now. During the church age, we are the temple. And so uh, that's why either maybe right before the rapture at some point or right after the rapture happens and we're gone that temple will be rebuilt because the temple of the Lord now is you and me as believers and will be taken up. Then the way that God's clock will work, that temple will be rebuilt and it'll be the temple on earth for a short time, for a very short time. Uh, Daniel 6 verse 9 to 27 uh, talks about that temple that the Antichrist will come in and he will defile that temple. Uh, Revelation 11 verse 1 and 2 describe that it's measured and uh, that that temple is, is going to be rebuilt or that it was rebuilt whenever, or Revelation records it as it had been rebuilt. Then 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 says that the Antichrist will come into the temple and declare himself to be God. So the tribulation temple will be built or begin to be built either right before the, the rapture or right after it happens um, and it, it's only going to be there for a short time. It'll be destroyed during the tribulation. And then there's the millennial temple, Ezekiel 40, to verse, verse 48. And we studied Ezekiel. That temple will be built at the end of the tribulation when the Lord comes to dwell, uh, to, to, well, to dwell, to reign and rule on earth. There will be a millennial temple. And the offerings that are made there are not sacrifices for salvation. They're simply where the, the Jews during the tribulation, or excuse me, during the millennium will remember the, um, remember the um, uh, holy days that they celebrated uh, on earth, uh, and uh, re- they'll remember those. So Millennial Temple be built. Then there's the heavenly temple. Hebrews 9, verse 11, verse 24, and Revelation 11, verse 19, speak of the temple that is in heaven. And uh, according to Hebrews, the temple on earth is like a, it, it's, it's almost like God says, here's my blueprint from heaven. This is how I want you to build the temple on earth. It's going to be a small scale model, if you want to use that, to the temple in heaven. So there are eight of them in scripture. So uh, fuel up, did I not put the right thing here? Maybe I did. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't put that on this one. I don't know why I didn't put that. I had a verse for fuel up, and now I can't remember what I put. Um, I think I had it on another... On my jump drive or something. I didn't put it on this slide for some reason. Anyway, the home address is in chapter 1 of Haggai, verse 3. He says it twice, verse 3 and verse 7. Now this, he's talking to Israel. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. Um, and verse 7, uh, he reads from down to verse 7, actually. But verse 3, he says, came the word of the Lord by uh, Haggai the prophet. Then he says, verse 7, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So um, the key verse there, the, the home address would be consider your ways. It's something that we uh, should always do in a Christian life from time to time is to consider and think about, um, think about uh, you know, our lives. And, and it says in the book of Psalm, chapter 139, uh, Lord, thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Then it ends with, Lord, search me, Lord, know my heart, try my ways, see if there any, be any wicked way in me. So uh, we'll close with that home address. So we made it through two books tonight. Uh, somehow, we'll stop and see if there's any comments or any input or whatever. Lord willing, we'll dive into Jonah next week and maybe swim around with Jonah a little bit next week. Stay outside of the well. Yeah, stay outside of the well. We'll just do it from the beach, maybe. Any questions or anything before we close? I apologize for not getting that other slide, but I don't know why I didn't get that right, but anyway. All right. Let's stand and close in closing prayer, and Lord willing, we'll pick up in Jonah next week. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for your Word and for each one here tonight, and I pray for those who'll be listening to this on our podcast site, and uh, I pray that they'll grow in grace and knowledge as we are through studying your Word. I thank you for the, your Word and the power of it, and Lord, as we look at these minor prophets, it seems like there's a lot of it maybe that doesn't apply, but Lord, we we see who you are and we see your uh, judgment that you are holy God, but yet we also see, Lord, your mercy as we uh, see how merciful, how you hold back uh, judgment when it could have been much worse and much stronger, and we're grateful, Lord, that you worked through the lives of your people in the Old Testament, and you worked through uh, your people in the in the New Testament church age through us, Lord, and we thank you for that. We serve the same God. You work in different ways, but we're, you're the same God, and we can trust you and know that you're always faithful. Pray that you'll watch over us as we leave from here tonight, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right,